So um, we're going to be looking to quite a uh, few different scripture verses today. Um, so if you have a Bible, I highly advise that you take it out. If you don't have a Bible, I highly advise you pick one up that has been given to you free of charge in the chair in front of you. Matthew. We're close. We're close. I'm going to go to 120. <laughs> Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 uh, is where we're going to begin today. And actually, Sharon, when I'm reading that, you can probably switch over to computer. Don't hit the video yet. We'll see if it works. If not, I'll just explain the video. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 says this, But while he thought about these things, this is Joseph who is thinking, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in, in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And we'll see if that video is working. All right, you can just kill it. Dramatic pause, but not. Yeah, you can just say, and you can shut the uh, computer channel off because of the hum. That'd be great. Thanks. All right. Well, hey, it's not working, but God willing, will work tomorrow. The video was actually a nice way to summarize last year's Christmas sermon, and that's why I wanted to show it. Okay, it's okay. Last year's Christmas sermon was uh, the notion of Emmanuel, God with us, that he is here with us. And uh, really the, 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 the climax of the sermon last year, I took a, a, a quote from a speech from Charles Spurgeon that was discussing the power of the nature of the name Emmanuel, God with us. And more or less what was going on in his sermon in like 18, whatever it may have been, uh, is that no matter what we're going through, we know that God is with us. And that should give us a certain amount of authority and a certain amount of power and understanding whereby he goes on to say, like, where is the, the, the missionary's patience and ability to endure difficulty? It's in that name, Emmanuel, right? Um, where is the, the, the person, where, where is the energy of being able to go through this life and the grace to be able to go through life's difficulties? It comes from that name, God with us. Yeah. Nah, it's okay. Thank you. Um, at the proclamation of that name, Satan trembles with the revelation and understanding that God has come to man, God with us. And so the video was going to be just summarizing that. The reality here is this. We, we know that God is with us and we know it's part of his plan and we know that it's part of the story of God. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it, it, it says it like this. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So what we have here is only back in the prophets in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah and other prophets are all giving prophetic utterances and words that a Messiah is going to come. And so what we have here is in the past, people were yearning and waiting for the day that the Mashiach, the Messiah, would come. In fact, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, 13 says that in the great cloud of witnesses, right, they looked from afar to see the promise, the promise of the seed. Like, I mean, all these great men and women of God that did amazing things still had to see from afar the coming of the Messiah. But you... You get to see him now. You get to be on the other side of the hinge of history. And how blessed you are to see that and to receive that promise and that covenant. And so today is, uh, is really about this, uh, the manifestation of history. All of history and all of heaven have been waiting for the day of the coming of the Son of God. I mean, from the foundations of the earth, they've been waiting and waiting and waiting for the day that we are going to celebrate in two days. 
It's a very, very powerful, powerful thing. And so, what is history? Well, me being the history teacher, I pulled up a definition. So what I'm trying to say here. History, a noun, the branch of knowledge dealing with past events. Two, a continuous systematic narrative of past events as relating to a particular people, history, period, person, etc. So here we are. The manifestation of history, the, the, the physical representation of what everything is about. Everything is about this day, right? The day of the coming of the sun. All of eternity past, all of eternity future is all about Emmanuel, God coming to us. That is like the definition of the manifestation of history. I mean, it is the coming of the sun. But interesting enough, what does it say here? It says it's a continuous narrative, a story. It's a continuous telling of past events as relating to what? font might be a little small, so I enlarged it. Relating to a particular people and country. And this is where we need to really dive into today. Um, a particular people and country. To dive into the history of the manifestation of the coming of the Son of God, we need to dive into a particular people. We have to dive into a particular country and a particular context. Um, tomorrow, right, it is tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow night, or tomorrow evening, uh, we will have our more traditional Christmas service, and the more traditional Christmas teaching. So if you want the more traditional one, come back tomorrow. Today, uh, we're going to go a little bit different. We're going to take a look at some of the mysteries of this story, of the manifestation of history, that are, are less discussed. Because it works out well, right? We have that today and then tomorrow we have the traditional one. Cool? Alright, now this makes sense because I love it because me being a teacher. Like, I have to have this make sense. This makes sense because our unit right now is the times in life of Jesus. So it makes sense for us to do this. Right? So I'm like nerding out right now. I'm like, oh, this works so well in my uh, you know, guaranteed and viable curriculum. Oh. part of the framework within the unit of this. I feel really good. There'll be a final exam in another week. So, right, we've been on a journey, the times in life of Jesus. So what better way to fit into the times in life of Jesus than to look at the beginning of the life of Jesus? Makes sense, right? And so it's the culmination, it's the manifestation of history, right, uh, that is taking place. And so now we're going to dig in a little deeper here. And so when I was uh, studying uh, this stuff, you know, some things started to just pop out at me. First thing is this. Um, Interesting enough, nowhere in the scriptures, nowhere in the New Testament, um, it, when regarding Jesus' birth, is there a date? Or is there a season? It's like, like, like all, of the, all of history is waiting for this moment. You can't give us a date? Like, you can't even give us a season? Like, is it springtime? Is it the summer? Is it the fall? Is it winter? Like, when is it? I'm not even asking for, like, a date. I'm just, can you give me a season at least? It doesn't say, right? It doesn't say. Like, this is like, come on, like, this is like the most important thing on God's heart. And he doesn't give us a date? Okay. And then I started looking at things, I was like, wait a minute, like, there actually are pretty limited dates in the Bible. Like, big guys, man, like Moses, Abraham, David, Solomon, like, all of them. These major, major forces in the annals of the history of God. They don't tell you when he's born. No date. No season, I believe. And it's just like, what's going on? Like, why is this? And now, before you guys get too uh, nervous of those who know me most well, I want to give this caveat. It's weird that there aren't any dates for these things in the Bible. But my little caveat here is this. God is happy that we are celebrating and rejoicing in the birth of his son. I mean, for crying out loud, in two days, like what, two billion plus people are going to be rejoicing that Emmanuel has come. You're telling me that, that, that does something to the heart of the Lord. And that's a beautiful, awesome thing. So I'm not going on that. I, I just, if, if, if I'm sitting here and if I really want to look at things, like, I want to understand the scriptures better. 
Who does? Does that, you guys want to study, you want to know the scriptures better. And so when I'm studying the scriptures, I'm looking at this, I'm like, well, why no date, Lord? Like, what's going on? And so I started doing some research, and you start getting into, like, the rabbit hole, and you're like, whoa, like, what's going on? You know, you feel like you're in the Matrix or something, you know? So, first recording of the celebration of Jesus' birth. First time someone did that, that we have historically, was the year 364 A.D., 364 years after he was born. Took 364 years or so on to record that we're celebrating it. So the historians are saying early Christians did not celebrate the birth of Jesus. But in 364 they did. And let me stress, for those who know me most, the Lord rejoices that we are. But I'm just trying to understand the people. I'm trying to understand the country. I'm trying to understand the context. I'm trying to understand all of this so I can better understand the scriptures and my understanding with him. Because right, we, we, take, we, we have so many things that we do and we put on to the context of the scripture. And it's a beautiful thing that we celebrate his birth. But is there a mystery and understanding of why no births and dates are recorded in the Bible and why did it take 364 years for someone to finally say, let's celebrate it? Like, there's just got to be something there, right? And so I started researching this stuff. And I went to the Encyclopedia Judaica, uh, which is essentially like a, 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 a dictionary, an encyclopedia, on the understanding of Judaism, which Jesus practiced. In there it says that the celebration of birthdays is completely unknown in traditional Judaism. They just didn't celebrate it. It's like, can you imagine like not celebrating your birthday? It's like, what? Then I started to find that the first century Jewish historian that was alive at the time of Jesus, who lived in Judea at the time of Jesus, Josephus says this, the tradition holds that your birth alone is not significant as the way you live your life. Since 2,000 years ago, a Jewish historian during the times of Jesus is saying that pretty much the reason why we don't celebrate birthdays is because what's more important than your birth is your death. Because your death and the way that you live your life is, is far more important. And so in Judaism, it's, 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 it's very important to recognize someone's life and to recognize the day of their death because the day of your death shows that you've lived a life. When you're born, what kind of life are you going to live? A good one? A bad one? But when you die, we can look back and see the impact that you've left. And so I thought this would be very interesting. It just so happens that the Word of God supports this understanding. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1 says this, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Because when you're born, right, you, who are you going to be, man? What kind of human being are you now going to be? What are you going to do? You can choose good, you can choose evil. Like, what, what are you going to make of it? But the day of death, we get to ascend into heavenly places, which is such a beautiful day of rejoicing. But it's also a day to finally stop and look at your loved one's lives and say, wow, look what kind of impact they've left on history and the proclamation of the kingdom of God. I mean, it's a completely different way of looking at things, right? Which is, you know, the difference between a Middle Eastern mindset and a Western mindset. So what is important is not who you were, or the day that you are born, but more importantly, in a sense, in a philosophical sense, the day you die. And so well, what we have here is this. I think this is like a revelation of importance that the Lord has just given to me is this. What is important is not who you were born from, but rather who you died into. I mean, David himself in Psalm 51 says, My mother had me or conceived me in sin. Some scholars think that uh, David actually was a bastard child. If you read the rest of Psalm 51, you can like, you see like, he's like, oops, I just made the same mistake as my, by my, as my mother. Right? The sins of the fathers being passed to the next generation. If you read Psalm 51 in that light, it's, it's very interesting. But in Psalm 51, he has the revelation, right? That it doesn't matter that I've sinned. It doesn't matter that even my mother sinned. What matters is, Lord, create me a clean heart. 
restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Cleanse me with hyssop, right? Let me be a part of you. Let me know you. I mean, that's, a, that's the heart of, uh, of the Lord. I was, just, I was just doing some research on Abraham Lincoln. I just feel like to say this, and I've been pondering this, and it's this notion of Abraham Lincoln said that a man that has no vices has, has no virtues. I was like, Phew. I'm not saying for all of you to now adopt a vice. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> But what I think what's going on here with Lincoln and, and, and King David is this notion is like those who have passed through those bad times, right? Those people who have walked in sin, those people that have that vice, right? What virtue has come out of it, right? They've been able to transcend those difficulties by the help of the Lord. And they have a story. They have an unbelievable virtue, the ability to walk through an addiction, to walk through something that other people don't have. And I think there's a little bit of this in this is that Look, man, we, we, we may have had screwed up parents and we may have had a screwed up life. It doesn't matter in Jewish thinking. It doesn't matter. What matters here is that you have died. At least you're supposed to have died. And you're supposed to become a new creation. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter your ethnicity, your race, your socioeconomic background. What matters is that you have hopefully died. So, all right, you know, so I'm getting into this, and I'm like, well, if this is the case of the dates, right? Like, are there any dates pertinent to Jesus' life where we do know the time and we do know the season? Yeah, there's, there's quite a few. Yeah, let's get into the three big ones. So, if the birth not stated, which life events in Jesus' life bore enough significance? And I think this is the key here. That these events were significant enough that the Holy Spirit going to the writers of the New Testament made sure that the time and the season was mentioned. It was that significant. Well, his birth is not stated, but his death and resurrection is. And so to the early church, just like us, the more important thing than his birth is his death and resurrection. So what do we know? It says that during the time of Passover, the, it all begins. The trial, the crucifixion, the death, three days later. Like, it's specific. Three 24-hour periods later, he is raised from the, from the dead. So that's like very specific. And then there are two other less mentioned events that we have a date for or a time period for at least. So let's take a look at those. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Uh, that's 41, yeah, 41. <clears throat> His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. We know the season. Once again, it's Passover again. And when he was, wow, 12 years old, we actually know how old he is in this story. When he was 12 years old, during the, the Feast of Passover, they are going to Jerusalem. I mean, I, I can't, there's only one other time when we know how old Jesus is in the story, which will be the next one. Right? We, we know how old he is. It's amazing. For so many lack of dates in the rest of the story. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. 
So here's an event that is, is so significant that the Holy Spirit is warranting a date, a time, and even the age of Jesus. I'm, I hope I'm not boring you too much with this kind of approach, but this is the way it's going on here. It's, it's, it's very specific for a reason if you want to get into this stuff. Twelve years of age, he's in Passover, and there's something that is accomplished. He shows the rabbis that he is able to interpret and articulate the laws of God. So much so that they are completely astonished by his authority already. They're astonished by his authority at the age of 12. That's pretty amazing. But what's so amazing here is that the age of 12 going to Jerusalem is for a reason. In Israel even today, which is different than in the United States, but in Israel today at the age of 12... A young man and a young woman will undergo what's known as a bar or bat mitzvah. What we have right here is Jesus' bar mitzvah. Has anyone ever been to a, a Jewish bar mitzvah before? Okay. He, this is it. This is his bar mitzvah. His bar mitzvah is intense. His bar mitzvah is, during the time of Passover, I'm going to the temple and I am now going to engage in theology and things of the law with the rabbis. And he's so good at it that the rabbis are astonished. Now what is the bar mitzvah? The bar mitzvah is the, is there's two things that are going on here essentially. In a bar mitzvah, what happens here is it signifies the transition from childhood to adulthood in Jewish culture. That's early. Back then, right? I mean, you're getting married young too, right? So what happens here is this is the mark. This is, this is a man's rite of passage. Which is very phenomenal because I've been talking to a buddy of mine about this. About like in the West we have no rite of passage. Like when does a boy become a man? When does a girl become a woman? It's, like so, it's actually, I mean we're just like whatever. No, it's, it's actually very significant. Like is that at the age of 18? Well at the age of 18 you can do some things as an adult. But you can't do all things as an adult. In accordance of law, Right? And it's like, come on, how many 18-year-olds are really an adult? But here's the thing, how many 40-year-olds are really an adult? Come on, let's be, let's be real. I mean, like, there are, there's like a whole generation or two of, 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 of like, you know, man-boys and woman-girls who haven't grown up yet. And in ancient cultures, it was so important that there was an event that took place. Right? Indigenous populations in the United States, it was, it was, it was pretty hardcore. It was, yeah, you're going to go out, right, with just a knife. I've, I've, I've read the documents, like, with, not with a bow and arrow, because that's too easy. With a knife, and you're going to kill a deer with a knife. Once you do that, you come back, you make yourself some buckskins, now you're a man. We don't have that in our society. It's like, oh, you turn 18, you're, you're an adult. Yeah, okay. In America, it's like, when you turn 18, you're an adult now. You can vote. You can buy a pack of cigarettes. Buy a lottery ticket. And some people are like, oh, it's, you know, becoming an adult is like, you know, maybe when, like, when kids go off to college, if they do go to college. That's being an adult? Like, going off on your mommy and daddy's dime, drinking and partying, not all do, but a lot do. And you come back, and now you're saying you're an adult? You just lived on mommy and daddy's dime for money. You're an adult now? I don't know. Right, so there, there's a problem here. But, but in Jewish culture at the time, this is very, very profound. What we have here is, a, well, the bar mitzvah literally in Hebrew is a son of the commandment. This is when you as a child are now saying, I am bearing responsibility for my actions and my calling before God as a Jewish person. I shall now walk, not like the nations walk, I shall walk the way in which God has called us to walk, to be one who walks with the commandments of God. And at the age of 12, I am bearing that responsibility for my people and adopting the covenant that God has made with my culture and my people. Man, that is like a real rite of passage. A real rite of passage is really a beautiful thing. So hopefully that sinks into you. The next one is going to be Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 verse 21 is the second time we get a real specific date in regards to Jesus' life. 
The only ones that I can, I, I can recall is, okay, he's born, so we know he exists, but there's no like timepiece. Age 12, when he's becoming a true adult and bearing responsibility, at the age of 12, and then the only kind of specificity of, of timing here is Luke chapter 2, 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. What we have here is this. Eight days after his birth, Jesus is now going to go through the law of God that was given to Abraham that every male child on the eighth day is to be circumcised, is to have the foreskin off of his male member cut as a sign of the covenant that God has made with Abraham. So we know like little baby Jesus at the age of eight, like it's eight days after his life. Like the only other time we get some kind of understanding of how old he was is at, at 12. So we got at eight days and at 12, like two times that we have a specific thing that's going on. And what happens at the day of his circumcision? For the very first time in the history of the cosmos, I believe, his name is revealed. You're like, well, back in the prophets, his name is revealed. Yes, but his name is? But now his name is? For the very first time, uttered on planet Earth and potentially in the history of the cosmos, the name of God is revealed and his name is more than just Emmanuel. God is with us. The full revelation of the picture is God is with us to do what? To do Yeshua. God is salvation. He's here to provide the salvation. It's the first time. And when does it happen? When his flesh is cut back and he bears the covenant of Abraham. The revelation to history is revealed when he bears the covenant of Abraham. Now it's provided God, this is the one, God is salvation. Man, that's, a, that's just not anything. And that's why Luke is like, eight days, this happens. It's so significant. I'm trying to like shock your world. It's so significant that it's actually theologically more significant than his birth. Because historically, they don't give us the time of his birth. But historically, we do know he's 12 when he bears responsibility. And we do know that he was eight days old specifically when his name is announced. Now, you can do a philosophical argument that, like, well, he couldn't have a bar mitzvah, couldn't be circumcised unless he was born. I get it. But in, in terms of, of looking at the scriptures, right, there's no timepiece. But the timepiece is given for other things. It shows the significance of, of, of how important this is in a culture that's like, who gives a rip about birthdays? Except for one, you're 12. Whew, let's read on. Chapter 2, verse 25. And after all this happens, this amazing things happen, man, when, when, when this happens. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Yeshua, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken at him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign which will be spoken against, yes, a sword will peace, pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And then it goes on to talk about another person who, who witnesses the event. Both older people who have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting because God promised them that they would be able to see his salvation. And they're announced, like, eight days, man. There's, there's, there's a, a rabbi, essentially, Simeon, who's announcing who this man really is, who this babe is, who this child is. And so, you know, getting, getting back to this notion of circumcision, right, it, it, it's, it, it's a precept that was given to Abraham that your, your male children, children are to 
have the foreskin cut off. So that it's a sign that you are bearing the covenant that God has made with Abraham. It's a sign that at a young age, particularly men, particularly men have to peel back their flesh. They have to peel back your flesh. I mean, it's a constant struggle. I don't just mean lust. I mean, it's just your flesh always wants to rise up. And here is a sign that from eight, at eight days old, you need to peel back that flesh because you are a son of the covenant. It's your calling. So the purpose of the Lord's coming... I read it during worship, Isaiah uh, 9, 6, right? That, 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 that the government will be upon his shoulder. The purpose of this whole story, right? The government shall be upon his, uh, on his shoulder. That he shall be considered wonderful, counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. He'll bring peace to planet earth. Isaiah 53 is, right? He is a lamb led, not, led unto the slaughter who opens not his mouth. He takes on the sins of humanity. He is willing to be bruised for your sake. He takes on your chastisement. He takes on your disease. That is the purpose of the coming, to set all things right before you and God. And that's like this, this overall purpose. But let us not forget that he's born so that he could fulfill these things, and in order to fulfill, he must die. He must die to fulfill these things. For Jesus to die and be resurrected, he had to first be born. But the power of it all is in his death and resurrection. And so the lesson for, for kind, of, kind of tightening things up a little bit, Mary, if you can come on down, because I, I feel like I need a little help here. A, a, a lesson to right now just kind of pause and, and gaze upon is this. To have a resurrection in your life. Just like Jesus said, to, to see a resurrection in your life, you have, to, you have to be born. But you also have to die. And then there's a lot of people in the church at large that want a resurrection story, but they're not willing to be killed or to die for it. And what is the dying of it? It's the pulling back of the flesh. So the Christmas story is, oh, you know, the baby in the manger. I get it. I get it. But actually what's more significant then that is his death. And it's a reminder in the birth of the baby that he was born to die. And that we are to be reminded that we are here to die to ourselves, to die to our flesh. And so like Jesus, like Jesus, there are three events in your life that bear enough significance that you should pause and meditate and ponder on. There are three events in your life. The first one is to be born. But really to be born again. But the problem here is to be born again, you have to first die. See, many, many people, and I've seen them, and I, in fact, I've been one of them. Many, many people in the church are born again. But they still have not allowed God to resurrect them. You gotta come out of the tomb. You could be born again and still sit in the tomb, still sit in that womb of spirituality. But 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 really, you, you have to come out. It's good. It's good. You gotta come out. But so many of us just want to keep the old ways. Like I'm born again, and I'm saved, so I'm good to go. Nah, that's that's not how it works. You, you get born again, but to be born again truly, you gotta die. Many people come to faith without dying. They just take on a new birth, but they don't die to get the new birth. And it's so powerful. It's so powerful that we know that during the time of Passover, Jesus completes this act. Check out, Dave, well, what allows me to really walk out this born-again experience? What is it? What, what, what do I really do, man? And just say my sinner's prayer. You got to get born again, but you got to grow up again. I want to say this again. You, you get born again, but you have to grow up again. It's not enough to be a baby in Christ. It's time for you to bear the bar mitzvah. 
It is time for you to say, I am a son and daughter of the covenant. I put away childish things and I adopt the things of adulthood. I bear responsibility to walk on planet Earth and allow the world to see me as a strange and peculiar people. A people who say, even at the age of 12, you can be a son or daughter of the covenant. That is so significant that we get a date for it in the Bible. Where very, very limited dates take place. We get born again, but you gotta grow up again. You gotta grow up. Now, how do you do that? Why? Well, right? It's easy. I mean, it's easy in practice. Get circumcised. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. And now, this is, this is Older Testament people. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of His ways and to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. We all know that. I mean, many of us know that. But it goes on, man. Indeed, heaven and the highest of heavens belong to the Lord your God. Also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them. And he chose their descendants after them. You above all peoples, as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. We need to have the flesh of our heart ah, pulled back. You got to get your heart circumcised. You got to get that, 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 that old flesh just cut back. Amen? And so how do we do that? Well, Colossians chapter 2 says it poetically. In him, in Jesus, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God. Who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh. He has made alive together with him having forgiven all of your trespasses. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it all to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public mockery of them, triumphing over them in it. When we adopt the revelation of Jesus really in our hearts, our, we, we get, our hearts become circumcised. The, the flesh pulls back. Where, where, where we understand our sins are, are, have been removed and we can put away the things of the flesh, take on the things of the Spirit. When we humbly come before Him, we're always looking at the cross. Always looking at the nails. I'm telling you guys, we, including myself, I, I, just, I just need to circumcise that heart. This Christmas, rejoice in the Lord's birth. But remember, eight days later, in our culture, it would be January 1st. There needed to be a circumcision. The circumcision is the place where you bear the covenant of Jesus. It is the place you get your name. A name is an identity. You peel back the flesh. You peel back the heart. You're going to get a new name with the Lord. He's going to give you an identity. That identity is a son or daughter. But you've got to peel back that flesh of your heart. And so I conclude with this. And Jose, don't answer because we were talking about it. When was Jesus' blood first shed for you? Some people say, well, I mean, some people say, well, you know, on the crucifix. And then other people say, well, no, and he, he adopts the crown of thorns. And then some people are like, oh no, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying so hard that the blood comes out of his, out of his forehead. You guys remember that? 
But really, what it is, Sharon, his circumcision. The eighth day of his life as a vulnerable child, the skin was cut from his male member and the blood is dripped onto planet earth for the first time. And what did it signify? That God himself came to earth. God is salvation. And he's bearing the covenant of Abraham. And he's bearing that for you. And he takes it and he says, I've borne the covenant. As a vulnerable child, I bear it with my blood at eight days years. Or eight days of, of age. And he says, I'm bearing the covenant. I've come. And I'm bringing the new one. That I am salvation. Can, like, think about this in the cosmos. Eight days, his name is being revealed. God is salvation, a fulfillment of Emmanuel. And the blood is being spilled onto planet Earth for the first time. To adopt the covenant of God. To say, I am now have been destined to be a son of the covenant of God. And I'm taking on that authority. I'm taking on that authority. So a new covenant can be made with all of the nations of the world. That I am the way, the truth, the life. Woo! A new covenant, there's no longer a separation. And so I believe that the full Christmas story is this. Yes, a babe has come. And his name is Emmanuel. And his name is Yeshua. God is salvation. But I believe that the full expression of the Christmas story is that eight days later he spilled his blood as a sign of the covenant. And so this Christmas, I encourage you, just like he was a vulnerable child and spilled his blood, I encourage you to go to him as a vulnerable child and say, I circumcise my heart to you. Because the Christmas story means nothing. Means nothing. Without a death, without a resurrection, without a peeling back of the flesh and the bearing of the covenant of God. That's why the rest of the world is going to be like, oh, Jesus was born, isn't that great? But as a disciple, that's not the focus. Hence, 364 years of not celebrating it. Do you actually know that there was a celebration of the circumcision of Christ before the celebration of Christmas? It was more important because they understood the theology of it. He bore the covenant of God for me. That's why he came. It's amazing. Bear, and let us all bear the responsibility of an adult. Taking on this notion of the bar or bat mitzvah. And now say that, you know what? This is my rite of passage. My rite of passage is I choose to walk with Messiah. I choose to bear the covenants of God. I choose to peel back my flesh. I choose not to have to be right all the time. I choose not to have to prove myself. I choose not to be egotistical. I choose you. Who gave us the example to humble himself and to be completely vulnerable. Because in the place of vulnerability that we're able to bear the covenant of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just come before you and I pray that these seeds which were spoken today could lay root and be in the ground. And a beautiful thing would emerge. An understanding that the Christ mass, the surface of Christ, is, is so much bigger than even a birth. It's a story. Oh, it's a story of Bearing the covenant because of the blood. It's a story of being born again, but also growing up again. And I just pray for those people who just refuse, have refused to grow up in Messiah. That today's message and this season of Christmas, that you would be convicted by the Holy Ghost to grow the heck up. To bear the covenant of God in your life. To bear the anointing, the mantle that he has called for you. That he's placed on you. To be a light unto the nations. 
to provoke Israel to jealousy, to be a strange and peculiar people on planet earth, to walk not in the ways of the unrighteous, to lift not your head to an idol, to be a generation of Jacob. Amen. Amen. Mm. We will see you tomorrow night if you can make it. We'll also see you downstairs. But please feel free to just stay right here. And even if you want to come up, if you want to ask questions about today, I'm here. If you want some prayer or regarding some of these things, come up. We'll have some, some prayer people come on down and pray for you. But please feel, feel free to just sit in the presence of the Lord. As a reminder, uh, the Board of Elders, we just have a real quick, literally five-minute quick discussion that we can do. And then we'll enjoy our potluck and our sweaters and all that good festivities downstairs. If I don't see you tomorrow, have a wonderful week. Merry Christmas. Have a wonderful New Year. But I just encourage you, when everyone is thinking about staying up late and drinking a whole bunch of stuff and eating a whole bunch of food and getting plump and merry, think that on that day in our tradition, it's eight days after the birth. It's the day of the circumcision, the day of pulling back the flesh. Sharon, come on down. I'm sorry. I got all fired up. If you just be a little bit more patient with us, Sharon has a powerful testimony of some things that have been transpiring in her life, which relates to peeling back of the flesh completely. Yes. Right? That's most, why I wanted to save it. So my, there you go. Most definitely. Uh, some of you people know I lost my daughter earlier this year. And I've had a terrible, hard, rough time. I tried to pay it forward and bring some homeless people into my house to help them. I thought if I help someone else make their life better, maybe my life wouldn't seem so bad. Um, in the five months that I've had them, they have totally bankrupt me. I'm evicted as of January 1st, and I have no way of providing any kind of Christmas for my grandkids. Why don't you explain to them about squatters' rights real quick? So so, squatters' rights, it seems apparently, because I tried to throw them out, um, that they have more rights than the homeowner. And I tried to throw them out. They called the police, and the police made me bring them back in. I tried to go to my landlord to have him help me get them out. He wound up throwing me out while I was in the process. So, as of the first of the year, I was not going to have any place to live. I was not going to have any money to feed me or my animals. And I've been crying out to God. I know I'm your child. I've seen the things you've done for me. I have anger issues. It's taken every part of the Holy right. Spirit inside of me not to lash out at these people. They've broken my windows. They've smashed every door frame. They've flooded my toilets to ruin ceilings and other floors. And I refuse, because of Jesus, to lash back. And I kept asking God, why would you let these people to do this to me? Kept reminding me. There's a section of Psalms 23. I will lead you in the path of righteousness for my name's sake. Not for me, but for him. And I was reminded what I do with my anger. I'm so angry, Lord. I'm really angry. You can fry an egg on me. Once again, he reminded me. Proverbs 24. <coughs> it's okay to be angry, but do not sin. Instead, lay in your bed and contemplate <coughs> your own heart. So I've done this. Woo! And I kept asking God, I'm, I'm doing everything you ask. I, I just don't know what, what I can do. I said, the only thing that's going to happen to save me is if you give me a miracle. I need a miracle. So, a few days ago, someone that I've done some work for said that they have duplex available. And because, you know, they know me and everything, they're going to let me have it for $800 a month. Wow. Not just that. It's better. Not just that. 
I can keep all my animals, okay? Because nobody wants me to let, I got a 110 pound dog. He's huge. Nobody would let me have him. Tell him about the security deposit. I don't need a security deposit. Wow. I don't need nothing. All I have to do is move in. Amen. Which then, freed up some money, I could get some presents, I could feed my granddaughter, because I, I get her every, every other weekend. That was another nightmare when my daughter died. Once again, someone else, an illegal alien, had more rights to my granddaughter than I did. That hurt, that really hurt. So, but I got my miracle. And Amen. I'm telling you, he still does miracles. Because there was no way I was gonna find a place to live, get money for Christmas. And I was dealing with such a hard, depression these last couple weeks. I didn't even want to get up and go to work. I had very little festive, you know, and I was trying my best to, to try and be cheerful, be a good heart, and not treat these people as badly as they have treated me. I have never been cursed at, I've never been cussed at, or called so many filthy names mm. that aren't me that aren't me. And, and because I know my identity, it, Amen. Didn't, it didn't stick to me. I knew they were wrong. Because Jesus and God tell me that I'm better than my circumstances. Amen. That I have a clean heart. That I have a good conscience. Amen. And that I have a stable mind. So no matter what the world tries to make you think, Believe what Jesus and God tell you. Amen. 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 Thank you, Dave. Woo. So I think in short, the circumcision of the heart brings the covenant of promises of God. Amen. The circumcision of our heart. I'm not going to sin. I'm going to reflect on your goodness. I pull back my flesh. And it brings the promises of the covenant. Amen. Have a wonderful week.